1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
2: Hello, we are back. It's another day here on Let's Go There. I'm Shira. Ryan is out. Shar is filling in.
3: For him all week long. Yes, I'm very excited. It's Tuesday, or as Shira would say, Tuesday. Tuesday. And, it's like, you t- know, Tuesday. I got in a little early today and I was talking to producer Shelby about like just how I've been feeling. Like, I, it's just been something in the air and I contributed to, I think there's something going on in just in the atmosphere because I did notice that, you know, Evanescence, you know the group Evanescence. Yeah.
2: yeah.
3: 19 years later, they bring me back to life as number one on iTunes. Oh. So I feel like just everyone. How does that go? That song. You know, wake me up. Wake me up, cause I can't wake up. Can't wake up.
2: That it's like song, an,
3: it's, it's a positive song if you're like emo. But that's what I'm saying. For them to be number one. <laughs> yeah, that on shows around. It shows that's where, amazing So I'm like, okay, so it's not just me feeling, you know, emo or like a rager. There's just something in the air where it feels like a lot is going on around me and not. Directly to me, thank God. I agree.
2: uh, People are on edge right now.
3: Yeah, you know what it is? It's like
2: the end of summer going into like the last few months of the year. Cuffing season. Yeah, (laughs) and so I think people are just like, okay, want to make sure they're getting their goals done. Uh, they're yeah. setting their boundaries, standing up for
3: themselves. There's also so, social, social <laughs> angst and stuff. So There's just, a lot of angst. It's very interesting. It like I, I know that I've been a bit on edge, but I've been just trying to work my way through it. And, you know, here we are on a Tuesday. Exactly. We're here for all of you. So yeah just saying call call in if you relate yes I want to know you know I love when people call in I love knowing people's stories and I'll remind and what people they're going we through. do have a
2: number you can always call
3: 833-77-CALL-Q and Shar loves talking to you so does Shira <laughs> so yeah if <laughs> you all got something to add to the conversation oh or God. you disagree with something or agree with something <laughs> let us know
2: well coming up on the show how we should be looking at federal student loan debt for LGBTQ folks Plus, uh, and that's, by the way, at 3.20 p.m. Pacific, 6.20 p.m. Eastern, plus why your first brush with COVID could affect how a fall booster works in 30 minutes. Let's get into some what's trending this hour, though, right now. We got more good news coming out of Asia. Yesterday, it was Singapore that decriminalized homosexuality. And Mm -hmm. today, it is Vietnam who announced earlier this month that the Vietnamese health ministry announced it's no longer considering LGBTQ people to be sick.
3: What? The directive also notes homosexuality cannot be cured oh my goodness come a long way i i guess if it's an uncurable thing then it's an uncurable thing that's good i'd much rather it be deemed uncurable than for electroshock therapy and conversion camp and whatever the hell else people are doing moving on vietnam uh... (laughs) now i want a spring roll
2: good morning vietnam (laughs) do you ever see that movie
3: no Hmm. do
2: you know about the vietnam war Uh, Yeah, I could probably know more better stuff about it. I do not want to do a history lesson right now. Uh, Moving on to Senator Ron Johnson, who previously made a statement that he doesn't see any reason why he should oppose the Respect for Marriage Act, but now his stance might be changing after last week. Johnson told reporters that he thinks the bill is completely unnecessary. Here's what he had to say.
4: Before I'd ever
0: support that, again, it's completely unnecessary. You have to understand this. I mean, that, that bill is completely unnecessary. The the decision on gay marriage will never be overturned. It's completely different than Roe v. Wade and the Dobbs decision because that would impact you know, millions of people that have been you know acted on that. Roe v. Wade and the Dobbs decision was proactive. It was protecting life in the future. So again, th- this is just Democrats, you know, opening up a wound that had really healed. You know, I've always always been supportive of civil unions. But the Supreme Court you know ruled on gay marriage and it's okay. That's the decision. Let's move on.
3: So does Roe versus Wade not also impact millions of people? Like, what is it? And yeah, of course, we've already talked about this. They're not going near near gay marriage because then that'll then bring interracial marriage into question. Mm. And we know Clarence and Jenny ain't going for that. Matter of fact, why isn't Jenny uh, Thomas in jail yet? That's the <laughs> question of the day for me. <laughs> Nepotism, right? <laughs> or proximity, rather.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's get oh, into our last headline of the day. Florida and New York primaries are happening today and and also in Oklahoma we're digging into that in 15 minutes. Ooh. Always keeping you up to date with the primaries with Ryan Basham our political
3: Oklahoma please consumer. don't fail me you know I went to college there. What yeah. a I got stories off air for you there, but let's get into the T-Report. Now, we know that Harry Styles has made headlines for his gender-bending, gender-fluid fashion that emulated, you know, icons like David Bowie and Mick Jagger. But in a recent interview, he's been called to the carpet about his sexuality, and he also indre- addresses the queer-baiting accusations. Do you know what queer-baiting is, Shira? Shira. Yeah, when you use things to bait people around being queer, Nah, baby, nah, <laughs> like that, no, that that's, that's not quite it. That's not quite it. you pretend you're. It's almost like you're teasing. Yeah. There's no confirmation. I first came across this term with uh, what's his name, Nick Jonas. Mm. Remember, he was all shirtless with his fly. Or someone gift, like, on, like if,
2: the cover of the Advocate. If, if there's two girls that are like <laughs> yes. pretending like best friends, but we're pretending to kiss, they're queer.
3: Yes, 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 queer baiting. Well, nevertheless, Harry Styles says there's always going to be a version of a narrative and. I just think I just decided I wasn't going to spend my time trying to correct it or redirect it in some way. Now, people have he hasn't really like honed in on labeling his sexuality. People have speculated, but he's only also been like photographed and linked to women. And so it's Hmm. like people are like straddling a fence and there's a lot of speculation. I do believe that, you know, it's something that if he chooses to keep. Uh, to himself, he has every right to, but also in this day and age, there's a sense of entitlement that comes with being a celebrity and social media and people of all walks of life love that damn Harry Styles. People do, He he's done a good job. My favorite One Figured Direction member is, is Zayn Malik. Really? That's, oh God, yes, are you kidding me? That's I was my with favorite. him
2: for dinner in Minneapolis.
3: Were you really? You didn't know this? No, you're gonna have to tell me off air, but that's the T-Report for this hour. And is it Zayn Malik or I'm, are you mixing someone? What's the up? other one? Liam oh damn okay next up
2: <laughs> primaries are happening today in key states like Florida New York and Oklahoma as I mentioned what to look out for after this let's go there with Shira and Ryan channel Q the final primary day of August has some key election context contests in Florida New York and Oklahoma back with us is our channel Q political analyst Ryan Basham thanks for being here hey y'all hey my pleasure hey Ryan well, Hi. there are some pretty big ones to watch today, and a lot of people have their eyes glued on Florida. Why is that?
5: So, um, the Florida's primary, the race that's most interesting to, I think, most people, and certainly to me, is the Democrat primary um, between two Democrats, who, one of whom will face off against Ron DeSantis, the current sitting governor and all-around um, horrible person, in the fall. And so, so Democrats in Florida are deciding who they want to put up against him. And um, one of the candidates was governor before. He's a former Republican, then ran for Senate, and is now a member of the House of Representatives. So he's a congressman. And then the other one, Nikki Freed is um, the only currently elected statewide Democrat to a statewide office. So um, they both have relatively high name ID, but Christ has more name ID. The difference really being Nikki Freed is more liberal, more progressive, and Charlie Christ, who used to be a Republican, is a little bit more moderate. Um, I think Chris is probably going to win, but either way, one of them is going to take on DeSantis in the fall, and we're going to see – if someone can still beat DeSantis, given how popular he is across the country and how motivated Republicans are to keep him in office.
1: Oh,
3: it's just a lot to take in. But talk to me about yeah. Oklahoma and this second district runoff, because what I find interesting is that I see that there's two Republicans and one of which is openly, you know, voicing his support for Trump. Trump has not endorsed anyone in Oklahoma, but um, according to a recent poll, 42 percent of Republican respondents are undecided, which I find so odd because. The Republican Party just seems so tribal to me, and so of one accord, and of mm. of you know of one thought process. So, what's going on with this second district runoff in Oklahoma?
5: Well, both of these candidates are are people who um, are you know scrambling to be the most Trumpy, the you know the one Trump likes the most, the one that there is most connected to Trump, whatever ways they can, because you know they know, especially in a place like Oklahoma. Your associations with Trump are generally what get you elected in a primary. Oh yeah. So I think part, I think part of why um, people are undecided is because they're just trying to, they're both trying to be the same, you know, carbon copy thing. Um, and I, it, so to my eye, I think it's really hard to tell who's going to win um, in advance. But one of them is going to go up against the Democrat in the fall. I. I don't know. I'd so gross to watch Republicans fall over themselves to just try and be more trumpy, But I guess that's yeah. happening here like it is across the country.
2: Yeah. And what about in New York?
5: Ah, uh, OK. So this is a really interesting congressional race that I've been following. So uh, Congresswoman uh, Carolyn Maloney and Congressman Jerry Nadler, they're both powerhouses in Congress. They chair important committees. They've been in office since 1992. And because of redistricting, they were essentially forced to run against each other. Um, well, it's a little more complicated than for, forced, but that's not important. The point is the two of them are running against each other, and there is somebody else running who is a more progressive, much younger outsider, although I think it would all argue that they're uh, sufficiently progressive. Um, and so it's really a race between um, two longstanding, well-known Democrats who have been in Congress since the early 90s versus a younger, super progressive um, Uh, younger guy who, um, you know, he came within a few points of defeating Carolyn Maloney in the primary a couple years ago. So I think if the, um, Siraj Patel is his name, and I think if he, um, if they split the vote, Nadler and um, Maloney, if they split the vote of people who kind of want to keep the institution of power um, in their congressional district, that might just make, pave the way for Patel to, you know, slide into the nomination and be the next congressperson from that district
2: okay well thank you for giving us all our primaries news we need to know for today at least and please
3: vote everyone get out and vote yes come on and take a friend with you Yeah. make it fun take a group of friends yeah. with you how about that ryan <laughs> bring some snacks bring a drink because yeah, they're not going to serve you in line anymore That's true. didn't georgia make nope. that illegal where they can't pass out
2: water or anything anymore Yes, like, they wow. sure did yeah. that was channel q political analyst ryan basham thank you again
5: thank you so much
2: Well, we've talked about the new COVID boosters that are going to be available soon. But how will your previous infections impact how the booster works for you? More with The Washington Post next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The version of the COVID virus that we're exposed to first can dictate how we respond to later variants and maybe how well vaccines work. This is around COVID, but also can be how we look at other viruses as as well. Well, joining us right now is science reporter at The Washington Post, Carolyn Johnson. Thanks for being here.
6: Thanks for having me.
2: So tell us more about the learning curves of each of our immune systems and how this influences how we look at COVID-19 and the vaccine moving forward.
6: Yeah, well, this is normally a niche area of immunology. So it's not something most people have necessarily heard of, but it's um, it's something that was first observed with flu. And um, some people describe it as first flu forever, which means the, the first strain of flu or, or the first strain of any virus that you're infected with kind of biases your whole immune response throughout your lifetime. And you always respond most strongly to that first strain. So how that plays out in COVID has been an area of ongoing study, ongoing debate. I mean, even though we've learned so much about this virus, we are still only two and a half years into this pandemic. And there's still a lot of effort to understand how is this going to play out? Is our first exposure going to hinder our future response to, uh, you know, new variants of the virus? Or is it actually going to help or be neutral? So it's an area of like, Constant study. In the meantime, the two leading uh, vaccine companies are getting ready to launch, well, seek approval, they're seeking authorization for the boosters for the fall, which are based on including some of the newer Omicron subvariants that have been dominant uh, over the last few months.
3: So what does this look like moving forward? Because I know that we have to continuously get boosters, or at least that's part of the larger conversation. So is is this going to be something where as COVID continues to develop, because it doesn't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon, will we then have to be required to then get like, if there's like the beta version that comes out, will we have to get the beta, you know, vaccine or the beta booster?
6: Well you're, there literally was a beta variant oh, I <laughs> so can't keep up. last year <laughs> yeah because the beta variant um each time there's been a new variant there's been a worry oh is this the variant this the new version of the version of the pandemic and is this going to give rise to all the future variants and that so far hasn't been true and omicron is the first one that looks like oh maybe this is going to be the basis for the future i think it's still unknown what what's happening now is that these fall boosters which are tweaked are going to go through regulatory review and probably i think going to be authorized but what remains to be seen is how how widely they they suggest people take them is it mostly for at risk people is it everyone is it children i mean these questions all sort of need to be Sorted out. And one thing that a lot of experts have said to me is that we, you know, even though the pandemic continues and it's really tiresome, things have changed so much. I mean, people just really aren't afraid they're going to die. We're not shutting down because we have all these layers of immunity that are helping people protect people from those worst outcomes. And the thing that vaccines traditionally this type of vaccine is the best at is keeping people out of the hospital, which is still doing a pretty good job of. So the boosters aren't, they're going to reset the pandemic. They're not going to like eliminate COVID, but they might be super helpful in kind of damping down a surge. If that happens in the fall, we still just don't know if this is going to be how seasonal this virus is going to be. You know, we have seen a, like a, you know, a lot of infections, during times, but, you know, we don't see them for other seasonal uh, viruses. So a lot is still kind of in flux. And it's really interesting, um, the disagreements among experts. You know, I call them to ask, what happens next? (laughs) And what are we going to do next? And, you know, we're still not sure what the fall winter is going to look like, much less like what is our booster strategy going to be like? five years from now. You know, that's just so far in the future Mm -hmm. that it's hard to predict. And and you do do, do mention
2: in your article, you talk about virologist Thomas Francis Jr. from like 50 years ago, and how he created the, or penned, helmed, (laughs) the doctrine of original antigenic sin. How how does that play into all of this?
6: Yeah, that's that first flu forever kind of idea. The basic idea is that the first uh, kind of time you encounter a virus, that primes your immune system long-term to always come back and fight that virus. And the thing is the viruses can change, which happens with flu, which happens with COVID. And when you encounter something that isn't the exact same virus, those memory, kind of that memory response that was laid down by your first vaccination or Mm -hmm. your first infection comes roaring back fast. And that's the the most effective, so the fastest thing. And the problem can be that there's a mismatch. Like what if the virus that you encounter after your vaccination is way different yep. and it's like a totally bad match. That kind of is worrisome because, Oh, like you still get sick. You you could get very sick. Mm-hmm. But so far what's happened is we've actually benefited from this because what happens is you encounter a virus. It's pretty different in many ways. Omicron is very different from the original virus, but it has enough similarities hmm. that It eludes some of your immune response, but not all of it. And the the place where you get into like a debate amongst uh, scientists is whether there's actually enough similarity there that you're getting a pretty good, a decent amount of protection. It's keeping you out of the hospital, Um, Mm -hmm. but it's not like a bulletproof armor. And so you're still getting sick. All right. And there's a kind of debate like, is isn't some protection better than none protection? Because uh, coming up with a starting from scratch, does take longer. So there's all kinds of debate, though, about whether it will impede the development of new memories and how, how consequential that will be. And, like, will that matter this fall or will it matter 10 falls from Ooh. now? It's kind of, it's a really interesting area. And, like, it's really amazing how much we're learning in real time about this. Definitely oh, yeah. Thank you for breaking
2: it all down for us. There's a lot still to learn about this. That was science reporter at Washington Post, Carolyn Johnson. Thank you again. Thanks so much. And coming up next, we know that losing sleep could have many effects on you, but this study shows it can actually make you more of something. And it's not a good thing. Okay. (laughs) Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Did you know that sleepless nights can also lead to selfish behavior? And this is now According to Science.
3: That would not explain, just my opinion. That would explain the fundamental American culture. I guess no one's getting any sleep. <laughs>
2: right, sleep deficit, Americans are selfish. <laughs> uh, you know the the grind, the hustle yeah. culture. Yes, we are making ourselves more and more selfish instead of more and more compass- uh, compassionate. Uh, according to this research published in the journal. PLOS Biology. They said insufficient sleep affects how likely a person is to help someone. Researchers from the University of California, Berkeley conducted three studies in the U.S. looking at this selfish effect, analyzing changes in neural activity and behavior benefiting others and found it was prevalent even after a small loss of sleep
3: even so, so much as a, a as an hour less can make you but i wonder what what's the barometer with this right mm-hmm. because i'm a very i like to look at myself as a very giving and compassionate person but i will openly admit i have struggled with sleep in my adult life yeah. especially in recent years and the pandemic lockdown shattered that yeah it sh- i was going days without sleeping oh yeah oh it was really really bad but it's cuz i was My nerves were on end. Like I'm still like working to recalibrate what's left of my nervous system. Mm. Like I still don't sleep well. It's a it is a good thing if I get six hours of sleep a night to this day. Yeah.
2: So even if you look at this, not even uh, science. I'm happy has proven this. But even let's just look at this as like on a practical level or just holistically. Okay. If you aren't taking care of yourself, getting enough sleep, you know you're snappy, right? The first moment I know that I need more sleep or just like more time to myself I know cuz I'm snappy right and I'm like but see, that's quick not to, selfish that's but impatient. but it is but but it's all wrapped in one meaning I'm not like having empathy or compassion I'm being selfish I'm thinking about myself like being on my time people to get Everybody what I'm thinking is. you know like you got to agree with me it's the same <laughs> thing and so I feel like that does happen when you're just not taking care of yourself and sleep is wrapped into that.
3: I do have a a certain level of impatience, but it's only when it comes to incompetence. And I hate you know, a
2: huge thing. But a million bucks totally. But a million bucks you have more of an ability to deal with that when you've you're in a good place.
3: Oh, I agree. I agree. But I, I I do not I repel incompetence and I hate when people say that they're going to do something and don't follow through. Totally. I only like people who are people of their word. And that contributes to my irritation. And I will write you off.
2: I agree. <laughs> I, I agree. But we're more likely to think of others and maybe give people grace and space or to be honest, go about our day and not just be like, that's you. And like, I'm good. But that's when we've had enough sleep, which yeah. totally makes sense to me.
3: It's hard to get sleep, though. For me, it's very hard to get sleep.
2: More reason. If you want to be selfish, stop sleeping. If you want to be better in the world, sleep more. Oh, if only it were that easy, Shira. right. All right. you think I I want sleep issues? Tucker Carlson is claiming this bizarre thing makes kids trans. More next. Oh, God. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
0: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect, impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you
4: Shopify.com slash odyssey podcast. All lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odyssey podcast.
2: Hello, thanks for hanging out with us on this lovely Tuesday. It's Shira Ryan is out, and Shar is in with me all week long. Yep, yep. And, Good times. Yep. And by the way, we've got more music coming up here on Channel Q. I always like to remind you about
3: that. I hope I hear Break My Soul. I haven't really been listening to the music lately, today. Okay. So I hope I hear Break My Soul Yes, you up never sometime. know. I
2: might. Just saying. All right. Coming up, though, on the show, how we should be looking at... Okay, I'm like at the 2 p.m. hour. I need to go to the 3. (laughs) Um, Skin conditions are already stigmatized, as we know. So how the spread of monkeypox is making it all worse. And we've got some tea involving Gary Busey.
3: Oh, goodness. Yes, we do. Why?
2: Why does this guy just stay around? He just... You know what he was accused of. I know. We're going to talk more about that in the T-Report. Let's get into some what's this hour right now. Fox News host Tucker Carlson went off the deep end. Are we that surprised? Last night on his show, suggesting that a farm that has been having legal problems with the FDA would solve its problems if it put something in the milk for kids. Just let's listen to it. Coming from um, the international or domestic politics of the Biden administration. And, you know, they're coming after him for it. Maybe if he promises to put more chemicals in the milk that turn kids trans, they'll lay off. Did any of the federal... Yeah, you heard that. He says, if they put more chemicals in the milk that turn kids trans. I wish that there was some type of legal
3: ramifications that people would take. Like if I were part of the milk industry I'd definitely be coming for him for this. I mean, if you think back, the cattle industry, you know, attacked Oprah Winfrey and had her in court for months when she said that she doesn't eat burgers. They had her for months. So why aren't people going after uh, Tucker Carlson for spreading gross misinformation like this? Or
2: if like networks get hit um, get a, a strike, you know, or a fine for saying a bad word. But they won't. Fox News, but like has shouldn't too a discriminatory secret- word, not that's like not scripted. Like if you, it's
3: part of a storyline, unfortunately, and you're trying to teach something. Well, whatever. But, but he it, says this with no evidence to back yeah, it up. Of course, He's and there's too many it. secret fans of Fox News to ever make yeah. them pay a price. Exactly.
2: <laughs> it was like a side comment of his that has ramifications well next up a jury today convicted two men of conspiring to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer in 2020 delivering swift verdicts in a plot that was broken up by the FBI and described as a rallying cry for a U.S. civil war by anti-government extremists and this was the second trial connected to the plot finally President Joe Biden is expected to announce his administration's much anticipated decision on student loan cancellation Tomorrow, White House aide said he was weighing a targeted plan that would provide $10,000 of debt relief for some borrowers, and this could really help the LGBTQ community as well. Well, we're talking about
3: that in 15 minutes. I wonder how, because as far as I'm concerned, what he's offering ain't even a drop in the bucket okay. for what I owe. Yep. Well, you well, let's know, see. so let's see more in a bit. <laughs> So what's happening in entertainment news? Child actor Gary Busey has come out swinging against the allegations that he groped a number of women at a a horror movie convention this past weekend. And this is as more details are, you know, coming to light. Now, police documents obtained by the Philadelphia Inquirer allege that Busey groped three women at the Cherry Hill New Jersey convention last weekend and even allegedly attempted to unhook one of Mm. the women's bras. The 78-year-old actor who was arrested and faces four charges has denied any wrongdoing. Now, the incident occurred during a photo shoot on August 13th at the Monster Mania convention where Busey allegedly groped two victims' buttocks before putting his face near the third victim's chest. (laughs) Yikes. And asked, quote, where she got them and subsequently tried to undo her brazier. Mm. Busey was one of a number of celebrities booked to appear at the convention and was scheduled to take photos with fans alongside actors Ralph Macchio. Mm. Wait, isn't that the Karate Kid? Ralph is Macchio. he a, Is he a trumper? I can't remember. I can't remember. Tom Skerritt and Lance Henrickson. Criminal affidavits obtained by the Inquirer alleged Busey attempted to sway police into convincing the victims not to file a report against him. Hmm, that sounds very, you know, unusual, but not really. The affidavits alleged that once the victims reported the allegedly inappropriate sexual contact Uh, That Busey said he had done nothing wrong before asking detectives to apologize to the victims on his behalf and convince them to not file any charges against him. Busey then said that it was possible to accidentally touch people on a certain body part. And this is according to the affidavits. Now, we'll see how this unfolds. I got to say, I definitely believe the victims in this case. Gary Busey is someone. This is just Char talking personally. Gary Busey terrifies me. Okay, he is so scary. I just he's someone that I've come to know through the reality TV circuit. I'm not really familiar with any of his films or I understand that he was Oscar nominated in the 70s. Um, but he's an actor and he was in The Terminator and a few other things. But I only know him from like the surreal life. And I think he did The Apprentice with Trump. I used to watch The Celebrity Apprentice. Yeah, I'm the looking at at his IMDb now. He ter- that man terrifies me with those large teeth and those bug eyes. But nevertheless, that is the T-Report for this hour. You want to stick around? I got more coming up for you in the four o'clock hour.
2: Oh, you! I was la- I was silent laughing, by the way. I, you, the Are whole you time. always silent laughing? No, laugh. I was like... Can you <laughs> laugh into the mic? I'm not a loud laugher, and it, when it happens, it's random. It's not about being okay? be loud. Um, <laughs> <laughs> next up, Biden is expected to make an announcement on student loan forgiveness this week, as we mentioned. So how do st- student loans impact the LGBTQ community? More about that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, we all know that Federal student loan debt is a huge issue here in this country. And you know it hits an estimated 42.9 million Americans, specifically younger adults, have student debt. And so the issue though of the LGBTQ community in this is really important because they're usually not included in any sort of collections of data around this. And so this is why this survey from researchers from the Williams Institute in collaboration with the Point Foundation is so important. And here to show more about this is Karith J. Conran Blatchford Cooper Research Director at the Williams Institute. Thanks for being here.
7: Oh, my pleasure.
2: All right, so tell us more about this survey and how it all came together. It seems like something that should be done no matter what, but it's not happening.
7: Well, you know, LGBTQ people have been left out of lots of surveys. Um, That's starting to change, but um, there wasn't much information available about student loans for LGBTQ people. So the Williams Institute partnered with Point Foundation to do a big survey about experiences in higher education. And one of the things we asked about, were about um, was about debt. And um, we were learned that lots of LGBTQ people um, hold student loans and that most of those loans are actually federal loans. And so we were able to look at, you know, how much debt do people have, how does that vary across the LGBTQ community? And um, it was, you know, just great to be able to provide some information about this to um, to inform policies, you know, discussions about how people would benefit and who would benefit from student loan forgiveness.
3: I'm interested in knowing in what ways will this shift the conversation because I know that these types of statistics and surveys are conducted amongst race and gender, but when it comes to LGBTQ, that's such a I guess, like an umbrellaed acronym. So are things even broken down to like what lesbians owe, what gay people owe, what trans people owe? Because under that entire umbrella, what does it, how will it shift the conversation beyond race and gender?
7: Well, I think it's important to remember that LGBTQ people um, also include, you know, women and include people of color. Um, so we really have to think about the LGBTQ community as not distinct from these other groups, but as, as a cross-section um, of everybody else. I think it's, what we would like people to remember is that LGBTQ people um, still face um, family rejection and discrimination in employment, and that within the community, rates of poverty are higher, um, particularly for transgender folks, bisexual people, LGBTQ people of color. And so having um, higher levels of debt from student loans um, just means that people are going to have take, you know, it's going to take longer to pay off those loans. And so while lots of young people seem to identify as LGBTQ and that that's been increasing over time and in general levels of social acceptance are increasing over time, it doesn't mean that everything is OK in the world. Um, lots of people still um, are struggling and need um, and need more support. So being able to benefit from um, a public endeavor like student loan forgiveness will have a disproportionate benefit on a community that by and large has fewer economic resources and less family support.
2: Definitely. And the numbers we're talking about are pretty big, actually. In this, it says more than a third, 35% of LGBTQ adults ages 18 to 40, an estimated 2.9 million adults are holding more than $93.2 billion in federal student loans. That's wild. Yes,
7: yep. Yeah, that's those those are the um, numbers that we estimated. Um and you know, the Biden administration is considering student loan debt relief at the ten thousand dollar level and while for some people that's still a small amount of their loans, that will help at least a third of LGBTQ federal student loan holders um in terms of absolving all of their debt and will help um many, many more who owe more than more than ten thousand dollars in both federal loans as as well as in private loans.
3: Yeah, I know for me personally, that's just a drop in the bucket. That's not really going to uh, provide much of an impact to what I currently owe, but I'm also interested in knowing: Will there ever be any type of like special provisions made for LGBTQ people? Given that you know the st- the stats that you just rattled off about like uh, some of the poverty that sometimes faced in more marginalized sectors of the community, will there be any special forgivenesses? Do we see that happening with the Biden administration or any administration moving forward? Like, what are the projections?
7: Mm, that's a great question. Um, I'm not familiar with any, um, you know, higher levels of forgiveness or provision for any mm-hmm. particular demographic group, but I think that's a great idea. Um, and would it, you know, really want to extend that to, um, to race as well? Um, just given historic racism and racial inequalities and wealth access um, and access to education.
2: All right. So where do you see this going, though, as we continue?
7: Well, I'm hoping that um, there is greater access to scholarships for LGBTQ people. I think the Point Foundation is doing a greater job in that arena. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that there is um, more consideration of um, funding support for LGBTQ students as they are um, applying for school. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, something we need to consider is our Are people selecting into environments that they believe are more accepting that have um, higher price tags? And so are we making public institutions safe and welcoming places, Um, those institutions that are less costly to attend school? Um, So these are some of the conversations that I hope um, come from some of the work that we're doing in this project
2: yeah, and the deep ramifications of this on specific communities. Well, that was Kareth J. Conran, Latchford Cooper Research Director at the Williams Institute. Thank you again. Oh, uh, thanks for having me. Have a good night. You too. Well, next up, how monkeypox is worsening the stigmatization of skin condition- conditions. Sorry, more next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. You know, people who have skin conditions are speaking out after people are assuming they have monkeypox, unfortunately. Specifically, there was one woman, there was this video that's gotten like over a million views. Oh yeah, on that, TikTok. Yeah, that wanted to clear things up on TikTok because she was captured on the subway without her consent and she actually has a skin condition where she grows like little tumors on her legs.
3: Like little benign yeah, tumors. Benign That's tumors. what her t- yeah. TikTok said. Listen, you know what? I empathize with her. I, I did see that video um, and I, while I do empathize with her, I do also understand people's caution. I don't think people should be taking pictures of folks no. without their consent, but there is a, a feeling in the air of fear and we also know people to be inherently self-serving due to COVID. There are people who had COVID and were still outside. There are people who have monkeypox and that are still outside. And so I understand in today's climate why someone might you know shy away from her but I still deeply deeply empathize with her because she has a condition that she can't control exactly
2: well joining us again is Dr. Amesh Dalja, an infectious diseases doctor at Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security thanks again for joining us thanks for having me so do you see more and more of people coming out to talk about this who already have skin conditions that carry a stigma and that aren't contagious that are now being basically, I wouldn't say I like focused on because of monkey pox and everything coming out. I, oh, we oh. lost him.
3: Well, in the meantime <laughs> Well, there we go. I, I imagine that some of the, you know, psychological effects that come with this are very, you know, long term. And I like what she addressed in the video with saying like, you all basically she said, You won't break my soul, right? Yeah. Like you all are not about to undo years of therapy and, and things and steps that she's had to take to accept and, and learn to love herself. And I imagine that to be extremely challenging, especially given this current climate.
2: Yeah, I do feel really bad for people now when things like this come up and are so close to a virus or something that could yeah, are people a lot of people are being hurt from or is contagious. Yeah. And they have to either explain themselves constantly or they have to watch what they are wearing or what they're doing because someone might associate what they have with that?
3: Yeah, I must say, even when I got back from Mexico, the mosquitoes had tore up the back of my legs, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Now hold on, now!" But it was just mosquito bites. So I'm, I, the only reason I'm bringing that up is that's on such a um, a minute, like such a low level of of this conversation where. Even those mosquito bites gave me a moment of pause, so I can only imagine. That's why my empathy is extended to people who might be dealing with certain skin conditions that are in the same vein or just even optically might look like something that might be contagious because it's not... It has to be hell right now. Or the fear that comes up. I
2: mean, if you have herpes also, like a lot of the first pictures that people are sharing look like it. It just like it looks like herpes on your face, to be honest.
3: Really? Yeah.
2: And so then for you not to know and then you just have your Valtrex and you pop that in. You're like, okay, yeah, this is what I got to take. And then it ends up either possibly being monkey box or maybe you uh, get herpes and you think it's
3: monkey box. You can get herpes on your face. Yeah. I thought it was only a lip thing. Uh
2: well, around your face, yeah. It could be like um on your upper lip or your cheek or yeah, yeah, I did
3: see there's a dermatologist that I follow, and I did see this this one girl report it. She showed it like the top of her lip. She said she had a fever for four days and then woke up with this and and the doctor said that you know it was it was herpes, but everybody in the comments were saying that it was monkeypox. And it's like, how are you gonna tell a doctor, you know, what it is? So there is a myriad, there are a myriad rather of of different skin conditions and things that happen. I know that that I've had to deal with hives when I'm stressed and and it's just so easy for things to be either misinterpreted or or miscalculated. And people are we have to remember people are going to come to the table with their own experiences and their own biases and it's gonna be projected onto you. It's yeah. a matter of I guess how you navigate
6: that.
2: It's also reminds me of with COVID and this is a bit of a different thing, but kind of similar where it's like, just because you cough or sniffle, people think you have COVID and they're like, yes. get away from me. Listen, I think that in this case, during understand. these times, <laughs> yeah, we got to understand where we're at, um, even though you might be triggered by it, but then yes. let's also have some compassion for each other.
3: I, right there are now. times that I've made my eyes water to prevent coughing because I didn't want people to, you know, and I used to tease one of my friends because he smokes a lot of marijuana okay. and at the height of COVID, you know, if we'd be spending time together and he'd do one of those coughs, I'd be like, mm mm he's like it's a weed cough but even still I'm someone who cuz we're we're responsible for our own personal health so like I said I understand people you know but um, we've learned through COVID that, that uh, you know, while we're responsible for our own personal health, people don't really do something to help others. or support Well, others that's what that. I'm saying. Yep. We've had people with COVID out exactly. in public with mo- no mask. And we've also had people with monkeypox. Totally. There's a TikTok of a guy in the McDonald's drive-thru with monkeypox and blisters all over himself. Well, hopefully that is monkeypox. And it's like, well, days. it was. But it's okay. like, yeah. why didn't you just DoorDash it? Why are you at McDonald's? Exce- why are you outside well, at McDonald's? Accessibility. I mean, that brings up a whole other conversation. I know. Like, people even can't still, stay
2: home for like four weeks. Even Still. Well, next up, a new uh, a new study that reveals that you might actually have a secret twin. OK, more next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, it seems like doppelgangers or, you know, I, I hope people know what a doppelganger is. It's like you're a twin, but not. It seems like they've increased the more and more time has continued because of the expansion of social media, according to recent research. Because, you know, pictures of people can be exchanged around the world now. And now they're seeing more of this, like, characterization. They're able to see how people are resembling each other and compare and contrast it. Mm -hmm. And what they found is that, actually, the more you look like someone, you actually might have certain genes that are alike, too. So, hey, your doppelganger might actually be kind of like your twin.
3: I wonder in what multiverse or is this like Jordan Peele's film Us? (laughs) Is this your tethered that's just come up from underground? I find this interesting. Look, I would love to kind of see like one of my friends, Ebony, for example, I found on ABC7 Chicago this girl had gotten arrested and they posted her mugshot and I looked at her name and the name was not Ebony but she looks Just like, like I sent it to Ebony and Ebony ended up reposting it because when I tell you they look just alike, exact same complexion, hairline, eyebrows, like it really was her twin.
4: But
2: I know a lot of people actually, like I always, it's never
3: surprising to me if someone, you know, maybe has a long lost twin, right? Like it happens. I mean, you never know. There's so many secrets, family secrets and stuff and people giving people away and Up for, there's there's a lot of family secrets, so it wouldn't surprise me.
2: So the thing is, do you have doppelgangers, and who are they? Have you been told you look like someone?
3: So two people come to mind, one of which I can kind of see, the other I don't see at all. So everyone, there's a lot of people that say Candy Burris for me. If you don't know who Candy Burris is, she is an award-winning singer-songwriter. And she's currently on the Real Housewives of Atlanta. She's a housewife. She's responsible for some NSYNC hits, some TLC hits, some Destiny's Child hits. I th- even think she wrote "There You Go" for Pink. Like Candy's pen is so sick. So Candy <laughs> Burris, and then some on some angles, some red carpets, some photos. Mm-hmm. People have DM'd me and told me Nia Long. I don't listen. I don't see it either. To those of you listening, but I've heard Nia Long and Candy. Those are my top two.
2: Okay, I've been told Sigourney Weaver. A young Sigourney Weaver, an alien. Uh huh. Which I got a dress like that for Halloween one year. It's a very easy. Oh uh, outfit. yeah, yeah. And I'm told depending on my hair. Like that uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I have straight hair, I get told I look like Jennifer Love Hewitt sometimes. I could see that. And then randomly, and I feel like this is just because of the curly hair and maybe the the uh, narrow face a bit. Uh, Alanis Morissette. I've done that sometimes, anyway. I don't see... It. Well, maybe, it's you know bit, what? If yeah. your hair were
3: longer, I Yeah, it's more because of the hair, I think. I, I was about to say, I could probably see if your hair were longer, which, by the way, Alanis Morissette has a great documentary on HBO Max. I don't of know course. if they've removed it. You know, they're removing all these titles, but, um, yeah, I mean, everybody... Shelby, have you ever been told
8: or come across a
3: doppelganger?
8: A lot of people say I look like several celebrities I disagree with. Oh. Um Anna Kendrick being one of them. Okay, that's a good one. The only one I see kind of is Natalia Dyer because we have a really similar face structure, okay, um, but I'm... she's way prettier than me, so I that is a struggle. Um, I actually could see it. <laughs> yeah, what Natalia, Natalia Dyer? Dyer? Yes, yeah, I don't know. And Kristen Stewart's her. another one. I feel like they just pick oh, like I could see Kristen Stewart. like normal looking white people
2: and just like yeah, that's about right. <laughs> you have the Kristen Stewart kind of like. Chill
3: bag. Yeah, it's kind of like no, her. Like, I don't mood. Think like, I, I, like could, that. I could see you falling in love. <laughs> I could see you falling in love with a vampire, being torn yeah. between a vampire and a werewolf.
8: Yeah. Which, Team by the word. way, Shout
3: out to Taylor Lautner. You know his fiancee no. just got
8: engaged. Taylor and Taylor Lautner. And she's taking
3: his his name. I met him outside in the valley at a taco truck. Okay. I'll show you the picture. He was so hot and friendly. We got a picture nice. together. Nice. Right. But yeah, so this is a fascinating study. I would love for someone to just tag me in a. Photo like, listen, I was in South Africa and this girl looks just like you. Oh my god. But only if it's true. You know how you know how people like Kathy Hilton think all black people exactly. look alike. It can get problematic. <laughs> next up, Walmart is under fire for
2: their treatment of a trans man. More on what's turning this hour next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today.
2: Yes, we're back at Shira. Ryan is out. Shar is here with oh, me yes. as we hang out and have fun with you all. We've got great music coming up still in Channel Q.
3: <laughs> that was a bit aggressive, Shira. I know.
2: Hey, sometimes I do go there. Uh, Coming up, we still got a lot of show for you. We're going to be talking about transmedicalism and why it is up for debate. Yeah. And what is it?
3: Yeah, and I just learned what it was this morning, actually.
2: So we decided to bring it to all of you. That's in 30 minutes. Plus, Rihanna has a new makeup line, and it involves a condiment. That's in the tear Report in a moment. Let's get into some What's Trending This Hour, though, right now headlines. A federal judge last week dismissed a lawsuit against a Montgomery County Public Schools policy that is designed to protect trans students. The policy advises school personnel to, quote, speak with the student about the level of support they receive or anticipate receiving at home before contacting the student's parent. The policy also advises school personnel to use a confidential form to help develop a gender support plan with the student and their family if the family is supportive of the student. Meanwhile, three parents who remain anonymous filed a lawsuit against the Board of Education, but the U.S. District Court for the District of Maryland dismissed their lawsuit.
3: We have to protect trans kids, you all.
2: Yes, it's sad. We have to. Now, uh, Peter Mudge-Zatko, former head of security at Twitter, Twitter drama, filed a complaint with the Securities and Exchange Commission last month accusing the company of violating its agreement with the FTC, you know, the Federal Trade Commission, to maintain... Solid security practices. So this could, of course, impact Twitter's legal and financial prospects, as well as its battle with Elon Musk. Zatko says he is just trying to fulfill his commitment to make Twitter and its users safer through any legal means. Mm. And finally... A trans man has filed a complaint with the Illinois Human Rights Department after he was denied service at two separate Walmart stores. They would not allow him to cash a money order because his driver's license still lists his dead name. At the time, his license did list his gender as male and had a current photo, but Hyatt says he has been unable to afford the process of legally changing his name under state
5: law. Oh,
3: he needs to uh, email me. I know uh, the transgender law project will have that done for free. We'll have that name change. This is a sticky situation for sure, though, because like those are unfortunate like those are the rules. Like we yeah. can't give you money if your name is not. Yeah. You know, it is unfortunate. Um, and I'm sure there there
2: is some discrimination around that. I mean, the question is, if it was someone.
3: But is it
2: or is it just I, legal? I was about
3: to say, I challenge that. Is there is there real is there grounds for a discrimination yeah. suit here? Because you're essentially There's nothing to really show. It's just me like to cash yeah. a check. And your ID says Shira Lazar. Yeah. And you're telling me your name is Sharjah Yeah, I know.
2: It's unfortunate. That was What's Trending This Hour. What's happening in entertainment news?
3: Oh, it gets sticky, sticky. Fenty Beauty has launched a makeup collaboration inspired by ketchup. Yes, ketchup. One of my <laughs> least favorite condiments. I actually really personally. love ketchup. Of course you I do. I love mustard, too. Uh, I like mustard. Uh, but this uh, is with MSCHF. That's the collaboration. But uh, it's called the Ketchup or Makeup Set. And it consists of six individual packets of quote unquote ketchup some of the packets will contain Fenty Beauty's gloss bomb, it's new lip gloss color and other packets will be filled with actual ketchup so it's I guess a a, a game of roulette when you open this because you don't know which uh, packet is going to contain Fenty's new lip gloss and what's going to contain actual Heinz ketchup because that's that is the packaging that it's under Rihanna what I have to say about this, sister, is all the people want is new music. And you're like, here, ketchup. Enjoy the ketchup. <laughs> I wonder what made her go down this route. And of all condiments, why not an aioli? Why, it doesn't, not, a, it why doesn't, not a hot sauce? It doesn't wordplay as easily. Ketchup or makeup? Exactly. I guess, you know what? If you have a ketchup lover in your family or friend circle and who, who also happens to be a makeup novice, grab them this. This seems like a collector's item. Well, she
2: also wears a lot of red lipstick, so...
3: Okay. Yeah, and
2: I mean it it could be cherry
3: flavored. Why tomato? Like, ew. Like I said, I don't think it tastes like it. Well, there's actual ketchup packets in there, so it's like, who's to say? I think this is a collector's item. Don't get me this. Get your ketchup-loving family member this. So (laughs) that is the tea report for this hour. You want to stick around because I got more for you next hour.
2: Okay. Well, platonic breakups can be just as painful as romantic ones. How to navigate that? Yeah, (laughs) we've got an expert joining us from Vox next all right
3: let's go there with Shira and Ryan Channel Q friendship has its ups and downs and if you're like me then you've unfortunately had to deal with some of the sadness and some of the uncomfortability that comes with a platonic breakup here to help us discuss how do we know when a friendship is over when you should pull the plug is Ali Volpe who's the senior reporter at Vox hi Ali hey how's it going it's going it's going so, Allie, I have to know, like I just mentioned at the top of this, you know, I'm someone who's still technically on the mend from a lot of things with with uh, some friendship breakups. There's been some things that have shifted, you know, post 2020 for me. How do you know when a friendship is over? Like, how do, Is it subjective? Like, how, how would you know?
9: Yeah, I think, you know, when we look at what makes a friendship work, um, we can figure out when it's not working. (laughs) So according to some therapists, you know, a good friendship, you know, you trust the other person, you have healthy communication with them, you share some common experiences with them, whether that's like an activity or like the way you see the world. So when those things start to fall apart, we can kind of realize, you know, maybe we're not on the same page as this friend anymore. Um, You know, like other red flags uh, include like not feeling supported by this friend. You know, they're putting you down. Um, You have nothing in common with them anymore. Um, If you're communicating differently, you know, if you felt like, you know, you were texting this person every day or seeing them every day, if they were a work friend, and suddenly that's not happening, um, these are all some signs that some things have gone awry. And maybe that's not necessarily, you know, a terrible thing. um, But, you know, if someone is, like, being verbally abusive to you or is minimizing your experience... Um, it does not see your experience as valid. Those are very, very clear uh, signs that like this friendship is not working for you and you should not be putting any more effort into this.
2: Definitely. And so what are you supposed to do to address that?
9: Yeah. So um, some of the advice that I got from therapists include like having multiple conversations about it. So if you want to make a a a concrete break from somebody you should ideally take little steps to get there. So it doesn't feel so like abrupt or weird. And so the other person doesn't all of a sudden blow up and are like, well, why didn't you ever bring this up with me before? Um, So one tip I think is particularly helpful is to kind of broach conversations um, to mention, like, we're fighting all the time. Like, what is this like for you? What is this like for me? Like, let's talk about this. Um, And even if the other person, you know, doesn't want to engage with you, at least you're giving them the space to discuss it. Um, And if after multiple attempts at trying to, you know, come to a conclusion about what's happening um, and you still haven't gotten anywhere, then, you know, I think it's a good time to, you know, make that break and say, hey, this relationship isn't working for either of us. Maybe we should take a step back. Um, But then there's also this sort of ghosting approach, which is far more common, um, according to, Uh, a researcher who actually studies how friendships end, um, because, you know, we're not as obligated to these people. Like, we're not in long-term relationships with them. We don't live with them. We don't split the bills with them sometimes. We don't have children with them. Um, It makes it easier to just sort of, you know, fade into the background. But that can also be really hurtful for people. Um, So I think it's important important to weigh like what approach might work best for you and whether you do want to keep that door open to potentially rekindle the relationship.
3: Yeah, I'm thinking as you're speaking, there's one friend that I had to walk away from and I flat out and we'd had those series of conversations and I flat out told him like, I cannot be your friend anymore. And that was painful. No one talks about the pain that comes from walking away from people that you love when it comes to platonic friendships. But then there's another friend who we've kind of just kind of you know kind of faded apart. So you kind of mentioned some warning signs. How, what are some of the the positive signs? What are some of the pros where where we where we know that the friendship is solid?
9: Hmm. Yeah, I think if you can hang out with the person and kind of do nothing and still have a good time, like that is such a, a nice thing to feel with somebody. Um, if you can talk to the person and not feel like judged by them, if you can tell them things and expect that, you know, they, they will validate you, they will support you. Um, and, you know, they will call you out on stuff if you need them to. <laughs> I think those are also some signs of a strong friendship. Um, when you really like trust this person or feel that like they have your back, um, Yeah, those are all really good signs. Like, I just think of, like, some of my really good friends where I could just sit around with them, like, for hours and not really do anything. But it just, like, feels nice or we can laugh at the same stupid things. Mm -hmm. Um, It it doesn't have to be, you know, we're doing all these grand gestures for each other all the time. It's sort of the little moments that that make everything feel nice.
2: Yeah, I just think we need to realize, like, it's okay to have different friends for different things and everything has a chapter.
3: I know that's pain. Like, no, but I don't think like that because when I meet friends, I don't think like, oh, this is going to have its chapter. I'm looking at it lifelong, which I guess is shooting me in the foot because maybe that's not what's in the in the cards for us. <laughs> don't <force> but them. <laughs> every relationship is a reflection of the relationship you have with yourself. That includes
6: friendships. There you go.
2: <laughs> All right. Ali Valpi, thank you so much. We really appreciate it.
6: Thanks so much for having me.
3: Allie, again, is the senior reporter at Vox. Yep. And coming up, how do we know the differences between transmedicalism and terms like trans scum? These are things that I just learned this morning. In the wake of me Hunter Schaefer, liking a post, we're going to talk about it. It has to do with Florida and healthcare and trans people. Stick around.
0: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
3: Okay, so if you're like me, you were on Twitter this morning and you saw Euphoria star, model, actress, Hunter Schaefer's name trending. You said, now what is this about? And you clicked on it and you saw that there was all this upheaval. Now listen, the upheaval is rooted in an Instagram post that a trans woman posted last week and we're learning some terms. We're learning transmedicalism. We're learning trans scum. And in this post, this woman basically, I'm going to try to paraphrase this because I encourage everyone to go read it for themselves. Um, she is really criticizing, you know, just a lot of red states and what they've done for trans people and, and, and things that are being rolled back like what Florida did with yeah. their medical care system. Mm-hmm. Um, but also non-binary people are brought into the fold. And it feels weird having this conversation on air because this is a very kitchen table type conversation, a very in-house an extremely nuanced conversation amongst trans people um, about how the trans movement, the front facing trans movement has shifted in recent years. And what I mean when I say that is that from my standpoint as a black woman who's trans, when I was coming up, granted, you know, some of the women might have been deemed problematic. I was, you know, there were the old school girls in Chicago that brought me up that had very rigid And, you know, definitions of transness. And a lot of, you know, the trans movement was about adequate health care, housing and employment. And now, at least according to the right, a lot of um, the movement has been sort of reduced to pronouns. And when I say reduced, I don't mean any harm. No harm, no foul when I say that. But it just has taken the conversation in a different direction. And depending on what trans person you come across, pronouns don't matter, you know. So it's a, it's like I said, it's very, very nuanced. And Hunter Schaefer liked this post and left a few exclamation marks. So she agreed with what this trans woman was saying. And people do not like it. Now, for those of you who do not know, transmedicalism basically refers to binary trans people who... I guess one could say gatekeep or define transition as having gender dysphoria. And, you know, with that, you know, pursuing um, life affirming surgeries or hormones. Um, but and then transcum is also along that vein. But we know that the umbrella for transness is very wide. And so, like I said, there's been this give or take in recent years as the umbrella for transness expands. Where then does the conversation go? And so that brings us to this current conversation right now.
2: Beautifully said, by the way. Thank you. Um, And also because a lot of the community has pushed for, um, you know, that it shouldn't be looked at as gender dysphoria – but yet, gender dysphoria is what allowed for a lot of it to be deemed like medically necessary. Yes. Right? Yes. So, when you take that away, the rights who just don't get it, could use that against the community. Well,
3: in fairness, the left don't get it either. There's a lot of people who don't understand <laughs> yeah. transness, if we're being honest. And so, if we leave it undefined, I now would then question what is the de- definition of transness today. And this is an innocent question. I know producer Shelby, I asked her to be a part of this conversation to get some of her insight on this, because I should also mention that not every non binary binary person is trans. There are some trans non-binary people and there are just some just non-binary people. And so I think that as even though some of us in the community are still learning these terms and as language evolves and shifts, it should be important to acknowledge that we can walk and chew gum at the same time. And, you know, non-binary people are not the enemy. They're not the enemy.
2: But then the problem is, is that the people that just don't get it use this nuance as it being too complicated and like not really getting it and using it to not give the community what they need to either transition or live their lives. That's what
3: the Post said. The Post argues that now that non-binary people have kind of been at the forefront of a lot of the conversation and movement, it's then taken away from I guess the traditional definition of transness. And so now people are going to have to resort to survival sex work in order to get those life-affirming surgeries and access to that health care. But is it
2: fair to say that it was the non-binary community? Isn't it like, uh, I think that does does that create more... In inner in internal battles between oh, absolutely. everyone, than like actually looking at who's really attacking the community? Well, humanity. absolutely.
3: That's why I said non binary people are not the enemy. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, if yeah. the conversation is shifting from adequate health care, housing, and employment to just like the pronoun gang now, that is inherently problematic. Because I know girls that are on the street right now, you know what I'm saying? Who don't give a damn about well, a pronoun. Yeah.
2: What's dangerous is the need to have versus nice to have, right? Like, what do you mean? Um, that... People that want to have gender affirming hair, it's a need to have. They, it, it, they is need need. It. it is a need. It is a need. It's not fundamental a nice need. to have. Like oh, like what they say. Like I'm paying for your boob job, yeah. right? It's not the same, and that's the biggest issue.
3: But see, some people, even non-binary people, may approach it that way because they don't, they don't I mean, need. That's to just have because,
2: it. yeah, that's not what you want. But that's like, not
3: how they view their yeah, transness. I wanted to get producer Shelby's. Uh, take on this
8: yeah i wanted to start with a statistic i remember we discussed this when it was international non people's day um and 42 percent of non-binary adults uh identify as trans so that's like almost half so mm-hmm. it's 50 50 so i think it is i'll use the word unfair for um cis trans people to pin Uh, The claiming of the word trans on non-binary people when it is less than 50% who claim themselves to be trans. Mm -hmm. Um, I would also like to note that I consider myself demi, which is somewhere on the spectrum between being a woman and being non-binary, so I'm not totally fitting into what you normally see as people um, not normally, but like uh, more publicly understood Mm -hmm. um, as being non-binary, but um, it is correct that the enemies are not the non-binary people I do think there is some nuance to it and
3: oh absolutely you need to
8: you need to look <laughs> at the intersections like that's a whole other conversation um but instead of pitting these uh, marginalized groups against each other mm-hmm. I think it needs to be working with each other because mm-hmm. if what this post was saying if this woman is saying that, uh, these trans non-binary people are gaining more traction when it comes to working with legislators and things that work with them and and get where you need to be as a as a group instead of saying hey don't look at them look at us because in the long run everyone needs to be helped so why not just join forces instead of I think it gets sticky because
3: trans people who are binary like myself we typically want a lot of the same things and then trans people who are not non-binary. I mean, who are non-binary, want certain things. So a, yeah. a non-binary trans person can't speak for me Absolutely. and I can't speak for them. Absolutely. So it depends on who's in the driver's seat and who's in the ear, I guess, of the gatekeeper to determine what the outcome is going to be. And like you said, this is very nuanced. Like I said, it feels uncomfortable having this conversation on air because it's very kitchen table talk. And But it's um, somewhat
2: important, it's important whether it be, even if you can't be part of the discussion, to actually listen because like then it kind of gets you to understand
8: what's happening and that's legislators just need to understand before making decisions and I think that's the main part of it is just being informed
3: and we are not a monolith I want to end on that I know that there's minimal representation but trans people are not a monolith so there's that on that. Check it out. Look, look at what Hunter did. Read the post. Check out trans medicalism, and I don't like the term trans scum. And I know producer Shelby it and I. Bad. Before it is. Before we, uh, I had a conversation with producer Shelby before we get out of here about how there is a lot of conversation that I've seen bubble up in recent years about calling binary trans people antiquated, as if it's like a thing of the past. And I think that that's inherently problematic as well. Because aren't we supposed to respect everyone's identity?
2: Yes, you would think so. Well, next. Next up, <laughs> what is the lesbian breakup curse and why TikTokers are worried about it? Next.
0: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
2: So in recent weeks, there's been a curse that has been being spread on TikTok. It's also referred to as the breakup plague, the breakup apocalypse. It's consumed many TikTokers' lives. And but well, it's, it's uh, specifically for
3: lesbians. Well, yeah, I
2: was about to get there. It's oh. known as... More specifically even than that, talk about niche of a niche of a niche. <laughs> the lesbian breakup curse. We are going into the um underbelly of the in- of the internet and social media right now. But hey, we are a Which we station, frequently do. So why not? And so some have joked that the supposed curse is why so many popular women loving women or WLW creators have split with their girlfriends in the past week. And now people are warned that it's gonna spread
3: to them. This is so dumb to me. (laughs) (laughs) Only because people make up and break up every day. So what, a handful of couples break up? I would have thought that this had something to do with astrology or something, but no one's referencing that. It's just birthed out of TikTok, and because what, two high-profile lesbian couples broke up, (laughs) now all of a sudden it's the lesbian curse. You know, uh, even a singer, (laughs) King Princess, made a song about it.
9: Lesbians break up on TikTok. Terms in the TikToks, inspiring songs about breakups on TikTok. The cycle will never end until they're gone. I
3: mean, it's pretty good, The song. I was feeling it. I mean, you were snapping on the one and the three and not the two and the four. That tells oh, me everything stop I need judging. to know. <laughs> stop judging. I'm not judging, Listen,
2: girl. Uh, I don't know if this is a generational thing, if this is hitting the millennials or it's just the Gen Zers. Is it Gen X? No, the younger is the Gen, Gen Z, Z, right?
3: Because after that is Generation Alpha. You're right. How do I? I of learned, course, the last <laughs> letter of the alphabet. I'm so old, I forget
2: about the generation category. I just
3: hope that if you're a lesbian, I don't know, maybe mark your doors so that the spirit <laughs> of the the curse doesn't doesn't <laughs> pass over your house. Use some sage or palisanto. Yeah, something because this is this is ridiculous. <laughs> well, next up, this
2: celeb gave up sex and food for a roll.
3: More Sounds next. like me.
0: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q.
2: Well, we are wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz yes Queen of the Day.
3: Yes,
2: Queen. And this one actually includes a previous Yaz yes Queen winner, Xander Moritz. I believe we covered this Florida teen who had made headlines for his incredible graduation speech that went viral, kind of equating his curly hair to uh Oh yes, you know, he, he was speaking say, in code. Yes, because he couldn't say gay because uh-huh. he, he lives in Florida where the Don't Say Gay Death Bill Santis. is. Exactly. So here's that moment, just again, as a refresher. This characteristic has probably become the first thing you think of when you think of me as a human being. As you know, I have curly hair.
5: <laughs> I used to hate my girls. I spent mornings and nights, embarrassed at them, trying desperately to straighten this part of who I am. But the daily damage of trying to fix myself became too much to do. So while having curly hair in Florida is difficult due to the humidity, <laughs> I decided to be proud of who I was and started coming to school as my authentic
2: So good. Well, now Secretary of Very Transportation, creative. yeah, Pete Buttigieg sent a heartfelt thank you and message of inspiration to Moritz. Uh, Buttigieg wrote, after Chass and I saw your graduation speech earlier this year and heard about your appearance at the Department of Education, I wanted to be sure to personally thank you for your voice and advocacy. Your combination of wit and courage has reverberated across the country in ways that will benefit people you'll never have even met.
3: That is so true. And, you know, Moritz took to Twitter and thanked Pete Buttigieg publicly. And he posted the letter and he says, the fight for Florida has only begun. Well, definitely. And I can really appreciate that motivation because personally, I don't even live in Florida and I'm tired. Right. <laughs> so we need people of this same vein and of this same morale and spirit to to really carry the torch because we are in for one hell of a fight.
2: That is for sure. Well, on a positive note, that gets our yes queen of the day. Yeah. Yes, queen. And that wraps up, wraps, <laughs> wraps up our show for today. We are back tomorrow weekdays here live on Channel Q, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. What's coming up on tomorrow's show,
8: producer Shelby? There was a recent study. We talk about being... Uh, queer in the workplace yeah. a lot, um, but this study gives us a number that 50% of queer people aren't comfortable being out at work. Mm. So we're going to have the author of that study on tomorrow and talk about why. That's
3: so interesting. We interviewed Greg Mathis Jr. a few weeks ago, and he talked about that in, in his family's reality show on the first episode oh, about yes. how he was uncomfortable. And if someone were to ask him in the workplace, he'd say no. It's I think true. he's since now changed. But, I mean, and you know what? It is, it's even different when you bring in race. That adds an, an extra component. But well. we'll talk about it tomorrow. Yeah, we're
2: definitely going there. If you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Oh yeah, Just go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And I love us for real.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy